Hello, everybody. My name is Daniel Prince, and I am the host of the Once Bitten podcast. This is a podcast focused on Bitcoin. It's my mission to interview as many people as I can around the different aspects of Bitcoin and help people understand exactly what Bitcoin could mean for them and for their families and for their future. I hope you enjoy the show. Thank you so much for listening. Hey guys, welcome to this week's show, latest edition of the Once Bitten Podcast. And joining me today is Miguel Thorup from escapeartist.com and the podcast, The Expat Money Show, where uh, I was actually a guest on his podcast. We were introduced to each other by um, a guest that we both had on our respective shows, Isaac Morehouse. Mikel's story is very, very interesting, and we'll get into that. And um, the reason I wanted to have him on the show, he's the man that's going to be able to help you plan around a different way of living a different future? Do you want that second passport? Do you want citizenship? Do you want to set your business up in a different uh, jurisdiction? Do you want to pay less tax? He's the man. He he can, um, you know, he he can get you from zero to Jason Bourne um, pretty pretty swiftly, pretty quickly, and everything 100% legally. He's been doing this for 20 years, and this is what he loves doing, and this is what gets him out of bed in the morning, helping people, as he says, he loves helping people starve the beast. Um, I think you're going to love this. It's going to give you so much to think about. We've got so many rabbit holes in this one that is going to be, it's going to challenge a fixed mindset in many different areas of your life and of your thinking. But being Bitcoiners, this is the kind of shit we love. So I hope you enjoy the show. Uh, before we get into it, Go check out coinfloor.co.uk forward slash once bitten if you're living in the UK or um, forward slash bitten, excuse me, if you're living in the UK or if you have access to the UK banking system, you can start swapping out your fiat for some uh, sats uh, in a um, in a trustworthy way with a, with a company that has a great track record. Uh, if you're in the US, go check out swanbitcoin.com forward slash once bitten. Uh, they do exactly the same for you guys over there on that side of the pond. If you want to start stacking in your own country and you don't know where to turn to, go check out at Friar Hass on Twitter. He has the whole list there for you. Um, thanks again, as always, to uh, at Sir Badminton for, sorry, at Sir Hodler, at Hodler the now, Sir Badminton of Bitcoin for providing the music you can hear in the background. And he's doing great work over at 21, isn't he? So let's get into this. Let's figure out how we're going to plan our future after Bitcoin moons. Where are you going to want to live? What are you going to want to do? How are you going to navigate the future when you've got resources you probably never thought you'd have and time you probably never thought you'd have? So sit back and enjoy because I think Mikhail's got a few answers for you. Thanks for listening, guys, and I'll catch you after the show. Hey guys, welcome to today's show. And joining me today is Mikhail Thorup from the um, escapeartist.com. Is that correct? Kind of. I have two main sites that we do. The main one is escapeartist.com, which is the oldest and largest offshore website in the world. And then my podcast is The Expat Money Show. And you can find me at expatmoneyshow.com, where I do lots of amazing interviews. Like you, my friend Daniel, who's been recently on my show. 
Yes, and um, that that is all down to Isaac Morehouse, who has both been he's been on both of our shows talking um, homeschooling, alternative education, uh, talking praxis, and uh, he's been on the homeschooling summits as well that we've done. So, Mikkel, thank you so much for one inviting me onto your show. We had a great rip yesterday; that was great fun, and now we are here recording for my show. And the reason I think you're going to have um, a big impact on the people listening is the work you're doing around helping people relocate, get dual citizenship. I, I, I'm not going to say dodge tax, but, you know, be Dodge tax, tax is not a very, um, that's not really what <laughs> we do. You know, we work in legal tax mitigation and legal tax planning. Uh, but specifically with the offshore markets. So moving your money outside of, you know, the UK or Europe where you guys are or the US, which is a big portion of our readers and listeners are US based. But yeah, everything we do is very legal. This is no, this is certainly not black in the black and this is certainly not in the gray. Everything we do is all above board. You can find all the laws there on the IRS website. We work with the CPAs, we work with the lawyers, but we just do things a little bit creative and a little bit differently. And yeah, man, it's, it's fun. It's good. I like it a lot. And we're going to open up a hell of a lot of rabbit holes that people had no idea were probably even open to them. So this is going to be a cool one. So, But before we get started, Lauren is here and uh, she is going to start off the questioning. Yeah. Oh, yeah. What is a flag theory? Ooh, that's a good question. All right. Flag theory is basically using jurisdictions to your own advantage. So let's say, for example, that you are from the UK and you don't want to live in the UK. So maybe you're going to have your flags, quote unquote, planted around the world. Maybe you will have your residency in a second country, like in France. And you would have your business set up in a third company, like possibly Belize or Panama or Gibraltar or one of these offshore jurisdictions. There's about, I don't know, 40, 50, 60 different offshore jurisdictions, depending on what you use as a qualifier. Um, and then the other flags are usually held on like play or fun, as we call it. So maybe you want to spend a good amount of your time in a place like Thailand, or maybe you want to be a perpetual travel traveler and continue to be on the go. But it's using things, it's using different jurisdictions to structure your taxes and keeping yourself as a tourist. Because as we all know, tourists are always treated best. You know, the governments always screw over their own people first and foremost. So it's using the different ju jurisdictions to your advantage. Does that make sense? Yes, I Good. think it does. Well, it's kind of like your life, isn't it? You live in France. Yeah. Yeah, but you've, you've traveled for a very long, long time. Mm -hmm. So we weren't part of any country when we were traveling. We would just show up. and Yeah, and you'd be yeah. on a tourist visa. Mm -hmm. And don't forget that we have a house in Thailand. Yes, there is, um, there is that. Um, so we have... Um, like, uh, you know, that could be the play flag, so we could go and, and spend some time there. Yeah. Um, so that's so that's like the the place where we just go on holiday when it's winter here because it's summer over there. Yeah. Okay. So just imagine like a, a globe and you pick the countries that um, 
are best suited to your needs, whether that's starting a business or um, bringing up a family or going on holiday. And you could just like literally take a little flag and pin it in the map. And um, that's kind of basic. That's right. But see, there's different countries, different jurisdictions have strong points and weak points. So probably for a flag, we wouldn't choose France as a residency because there will be tax obligations there. But if you have tax, if you have your residence in a place that does territorial tax, like many, many countries in the world, like Panama, where I am, then you have a big advantage because, say, in Panama, as the example, you are only taxed on income that you make inside the country. So for if you make your money online, if you have an online business, if you're a coach or a consultant, or you have investments like Bitcoin or anything like that, the government of Panama has no claim to it. Where I'm from in Canada, if I live in Canada as a resident and I make money in anywhere else in the world, Canada's still going to want a bite, of the, a bite of the apple. So you have to look at each jurisdiction and strategically think out what it is that you need there. Make sense? Okay, yes. And does. some countries are better and some countries are worse. So it's dependent on, you know, your individual situation. And I think that's an opportune time. Everything that we're going to be talking about today is not going to be, please do not construe it as individual tax advice. Because, I mean, everybody's situation is very different. And the laws for Americans are very specific, probably the most specific in the world. But I'll try to talk in general terms today and just give everyone kind of a 101 breakdown of the work that we do and how we're able to help people and, you know, maybe send you guys down the rabbit hole so you can go and read and research and uh, help yourself as well. It's exciting, huh? All of a sudden, the world just opens up. Yeah. Oh yeah, when when did you uh do like when did you find out about this business and like when did you decide to do it? Well, I've been traveling and living as an expat for over twenty years now, so it's been a long time, and I did this stuff for a long time by myself. Um, I've been tax free for the better part of twenty years, and like I said earlier, legally. Um, I've traveled to more than 100 countries. I've lived in eight different countries. Um, I did not come from a privileged background or anything like that. Everything was with my own two hands. And I just got very good at doing visas and passports and residencies and bank accounts and companies and everything like this. And about four or five years ago, I started doing it as a profession. And so I took a lot of the experiences that I've had myself and put it into practice and the better part of my friends are lawyers and accountants and CPAs. So when I have questions, I go directly to them. So I ask much smarter people than I am uh, what the answer are to things, and then I do what they say, which I think is a lesson for life, Lauren, a lesson for life. <laughs> this is why I told you we should start that YouTube channel called Dadvice, and you could just ask me questions, and I could just... <laughs> well, it's... The key, Lauren, is to go out there and ask the best of the best. You know, mm. make friends with people who are like the the best of whatever it is that you want to learn, and make a whole bunch of friends like that, and then provide value for them, trade them. You know, give them your time or give them advice in something that you're an expert in, something that they value, and you can do a little bit of a swap. 
You know, a lot of people are very happy to mentor others. I've been very fortunate. I have many mentors who have spent countless hours with me answering my questions and helping me. And I've been very fortunate because I left school at a really young age. And this is how I learned was through mentoring. So we're talking about homeschooling audio. So this means because like nearly every Bitcoin person I've met been homeschooled. So this proves that homeschooling is good. Yes. Um, I don't think every Bitcoin person. I know, but met, like, no, you've, you've I met, said nearly. Yeah. Okay. Um, it's because they, um, they just view life differently once they've found something like Bitcoin or once like Mikhail has found something like uh, travel and mm. n- realizing that you don't have to live under one or overlord or, or government and you can start creating a better life for yourself on a more individual level. That's definitely what Bitcoin is and that's definitely what Mikhail is trying to do. And that's, that is what homeschooling is because you are – not relying on the state education system to force feed you the information they want to spoon feed you. Does that make sense? Yes. Cool. And just for the record, I am a big proponent for homeschooling. We have a four-year-old daughter who will actually be unschooling. Everything will be interest-based learning. And maybe uh, in a minute, I'll get through my. I'll get into my story about my education and how I learned a lot of different things because I think it's an interesting uh, story and probably one that your listeners have not heard before there you go well nice. do you want to stick around <laughs> or are you are you done with your questions how do you feel um well i may stick around for um how um michael is that? yeah michael mm-hmm. Uh, to, to see how he got stuff. Okay, you want to hear that story? Yeah. You dangled the carrot, my friend. And All right, let's the do debate it. debate has been taken. Yeah. Okay, so when I was... How old are you, darling? I'm nine. Nine, okay. So I was a little bit younger than you. I remember I was in grade three, and the teachers and the principal and the resource teachers, the counselors, they pulled me out of school one day. I was like, Mikhail, can you come here, please? And they took me to a little room and they sat me down, you know, it's like three, four, five adults and, and me, you know, I'm just a small kid. And they say, Mikkel, Mikkel, something doesn't work quite right in your brain. And what we want to do is we want to send you to a special school, a special school for special boys. And it was like, I have no idea what was going on. And, but that's what they did. They, every day for three years, I got on a little white bus and I took the little white bus across town and I had left my neighborhood school and my neighborhood friends and everybody I knew and grew up with and took this short little white bus across town and uh, went to this special school for children with, quote unquote, a learning disability. So the only problem, Lauren, was it was actually not a special school. It was a regular school with a special class. So I don't know how much school you've went to, but for me, I got picked on a lot. I got bullied. I got pushed around. I got into fights. And kids are mean. I'm telling you this straight up, especially in that type of an environment where you have someone who's a little bit different, who doesn't fit quite into the box like everybody else. You know, I think it's one of the main problems with schooling is that we put everybody together and no one knows how to behave. You have 20, 25, 30, 32 kids, which is what I think I had in Canada, 32 kids. 
and one teacher, and nobody knows how to behave. So as I said, I got picked on, and, and I got called an idiot and a retard. You know, this is 1980s, totally politically correct. And after three years, I got to go back to my neighborhood school, and I got to meet all of my friends from back then. And I was so happy, Lauren. I was so happy and so excited because I thought, you know, my friends will have missed me and they're going to wonder what happened to me. And, you know, you know, I'm not going to get picked on and I'm not going to get in fights anymore. And this is going to be amazing. And I can, I'm sure you can kind of guess what happened. I got back and people kind of, they remembered, but they didn't remember. You know, three years is a long time as a kid. And maybe I had seen some of the kids around the neighborhood, but not really, you know. And then the kids, they started whispering. Oh, I, I know him. He went to some retard school. Yeah, there's something wrong with him. And so then grade seven and eight, I started getting into more fights and get in more problems. And I started failing grade seven and grade eight. And then I stopped going and they sent me to summer school and then I failed summer school. And then I got into high school and then I started failing high school. Well, by about age 12, I decided... I don't like school anymore. Actually, I had never liked school. I thought this was absolutely terrible. This was the worst environment. I used to come home every day crying my eyes out. And I just stopped going. I, I, just, I just took myself out of school. And by 15, I had officially dropped out. And I never went back. And so I'm not homeschooled. I'm self-taught. I'm an autodidact. And I started reading and I started traveling. I started traveling when I was a teenager. And I started going internationally. And I started asking a lot of questions and learning from people who are a lot smarter than I am. Um, at this point, I'm 37. I've been doing this for more than 20 years straight. As I said earlier, I've been to more than 100 countries. I've lived in eight different countries. Um, I've circum circumnavigated the planet more than 400 times. I read on average about 100 to 120 books every single year and have done this for decades. So although I don't have quote unquote a formal education, I don't think anybody who would ever meet me would say that I am not educated. So that's kind of my story and what happened to me and my learning experiences. Does it make sense? Yeah. Um, just to sing about the bullying thing, um, yeah, you're right that uh, people, like, it's just like rude. You shouldn't really do that. And Agreed. You shouldn't misbehave because there's this kid who is different or he did some things like the boss, like you said. Mm -hmm. But see, you have to understand that an environment like public education is not set up to help you succeed. Public education is to alienate you, the child, from everything else. It is set up to alienate you from your family. It is set up to alienate you from the church. It is set up to alienate you from your friends, from yourself, to give you lots and lots of self-doubt so you don't understand yourself, so you think that there's something wrong with you. Look at my example. The teachers actually came to me and said, there is something wrong with your brain. Can you imagine how would you feel if someone came to you, you know, today at nine years old and said, you know what, Lauren, there's something wrong with your brain. And this is an adult. What a system, right? Yeah, I would have been like, um, dude, you can't just say that. Exactly. Exactly. So the first chance I got, 
I remove myself from the situation. And that's why when I get interviewed on libertarian podcasts, which I do quite a bit, one of the common questions is, you know, how long have you been a libertarian or when did you first find out you were a libertarian? I would argue that I was a libertarian more than a decade before I even found out what the word meant. I think I was a libertarian since I was a small child. And it didn't come from my parents. It didn't come from the education. It didn't come because I understood politics or anything like this. I understand that there's alternative ways to do things. And I understand now that, you know, the state is not what they say they are. These people never have your best interests at heart. They're corrupt. They're disgusting human beings. And this goes for all of them. If you put a, a thousand of them in a row, I bet you'd be hard-pressed to find one or two who has an ethical bone in their body. I'm against um, big corporate companies with spying on their citizens. I think what a lot of these big companies are doing right now is unethical and dishonest. I don't believe in socialized medicine. I don't believe in the pharmaceutical companies and what they do. I don't believe in this fiat system that is just a giant scam. Um, I am a hard money individual. Um, I follow Austrian school of economics. And none of these things were, you know, explained to me one by one. You know, this is from my experiences of traveling and seeing how the world works and doing my own research. Because I think any time that you go out there and see things for yourself, do your own research, make your own decisions, and can think critically, the better off you're going to be. Don't take other people's word for it. Go out there and question things. It's super, super important, Lauren. Don't trust Verify. That's what we're talking. That's right. Yeah. Going back um, way back from when you had to leave and you were so happy that you're going to see your friends three years later, did they hang out with you or did they just leave? Yeah, I had a couple of people who were nice to me, people who I had stayed in touch with during that time. But I mean, that was a small group. And, you know, it was rough. I didn't, uh, I didn't have a good experience at all. And I don't want this to, please don't take this as a woe is me, poor Mikkel story by any means. This is a story of bravery. This is a story of being courageous and understanding the difference between right and wrong, even at such a young age. Well, you don't have, you're not the only one who has a small group because I only got like four four people who are really now and who are my friends at my school. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I don't hang out with the two people. I hang out with the other two people or we play all together mm -hmm. and one of them is gone for lunch. But now when, when you're on your online school, so yeah. just, just to clarify, um, since lockdown, um, you know, school has been over, um, and I think you spent what, the last three years in the school French in the French school system, so yeah. to learn the language. Um, again, you know, flag theory, like you know, how's best to learn the language? Bam. Yep. Okay. We'll immersion take, we'll for sure. Immersion. And what's the best way to immerse? You know, you, you take what you need from the school system. You don't bow to it. Mm -hmm. um, so. But now you're online and you're yeah. doing your, your Zoom calls every day with um, Galileo. Um, yeah. And how do you find that, like, compared to, like, um, your brick-and-mortar school, your school with actual classrooms where you've got to go and spend eight hours a day there? 
Whereas in Galileo, you get to choose how many hours a day you do and who, what clubs and. Um, well, sometimes I like the clubs because, like, at school we have break time, but you only have like one hour then break time, one hour then break time. No, one hour then break time, one hour then lunch, mm-hmm. one hour then break time. A few more hours from lunch at my school, mm-hmm. and then uh, work break, work. Home. So, but in Galileo, sometimes you go three hours a row, or you either just go like one class, wait for like a few hours, and it's a different class. Mm-hmm. So, like sometimes they take longer. Yeah, in um in our play area, we only have like fifteen minutes to play, and then we just go back inside. When you're at the school. Yeah. yeah. So now, between like uh, online clubs, you can go read a book. Go do some drawing or painting or hang out with some other friends um, from from the, from Galileo and, and play online games and stuff? Yeah, you can do that. Like, you just have more time. Yeah. Anyway, this, we should probably get on with this podcast. Yeah. This is becoming the Lauren show. <laughs> <laughs> the new star. Lauren, it was lovely to meet you. Thank you so much. You too. Bye. Bye, Bye darling. Good night. Cool. Good night. Yeah, sure. Thank you. Uh, the, the one you had before, the red one. <laughs> yes, please. Yeah. She knows the drill. Yeah. We, we don't even need to edit that out now. <laughs> the listeners know. <laughs> She's a sweetheart. Well, man, there is a thank you. Thank you very much. Um, I love the way everybody interacts with um, with Lauren or Samuel, whoever comes on the show. There's, there's always uh, one of the, the two younger ones, sometimes Sophia comes in as well, to, um, to interact with the guests. Um, and that was, you know, self-led, uh, something she wanted to do one night and loves coming in and talking to the guests. So Mm -hmm. thank you. Um, lots to unpack there. Um, (laughs) that was a shitty school experience, my friend. It was, it was, but like I said, man, I never want the story to come across as a woe is me. Woe is Mikkel. I mean, Mm. please, it's. I'm I'm immensely proud of myself, honestly. Like I, I don't think that's arrogant or anything to say. I think that I, I think I was I was very brave back then because I tell you, mm-hmm. you know, people thought I was either going to end up dead or in prison, you know, when I was a teenager because oh my god, he left school. Like, mm-hmm. how could you possibly do something like that? Like that was sacrilege, especially in a socialist country like Canada, where you know these people have this pride over their national education system. And I'm like, oh, no, yeah. this doesn't work for me. It just does, It's just not the right environment. And I have seen it over and over and over again in my life that I just learn things differently. Um, you know, and just, just so everybody understands, I have, a, I have a type of dyslexia. And it's kind of funny that I turned out to be a professional author. <laughs> you know, <laughs> that's what I grew up to be. Um, were your parents like um, just like going like crazy with because it's tough, right, to see the child go through that? Or were they supportive of your decision when you're like, you are not getting me back into that school? No, I mean, at a good point, my parents didn't really understand what was going on. My parents split up when I was quite young, and then my father would work all day, so a lot of times I would just skip school and then just 
pretend that I had gone. I would do any sneaky thing to get out of it, you know, or I would go to class, I would hit the attendance and then I'd leave or I would fake sick or we would get a letter or like a sick letter or I don't know, like all kind, every kind of scam you could think up in the book, you know, for the, for the first while. And then you'd get caught and then they'd see your marks and they'd be like twenties and thirties instead of like, I don't know, sixties or eighties, you know? And, um, yeah, man, I just stopped going and try, try to, try to control a 13 or 14 year old boy and force them to go to school. Good luck. You know, I was a willful Mm. child. I'm a willful adult. Like God, like, Nobody forces me to do anything at this point. Man, so you were already looking for loopholes back then, right? You oh, know, yeah. and a way to like um, not scam the system, not even play the system, understand it, right? Understand yeah. the game and get under I was, the hood of it. I, I peacefully removed myself from the situation. It was a damaging situation. I think that public education, at least in the way that I went through it was a violent situation. It was based on force. I peacefully Mm -hmm. removed myself. And then I took my education into my own hands. I would love to say that, you know, I had some, I had everything figured out when I was 14. Certainly that wasn't the case, but I mean, (laughs) I knew enough to know that it was wrong. And then, you know, that opened up a lot of other time. And, you know, there were some other moments in there that were kind of light bulb things that happened to me that, pushed me to start reading more and educate myself more. But yeah, the, the big the big light bulb was when I started traveling as a teenager and started going international. And I met these incredible human beings who were just doing things differently. And it just really showed me that there's not just one way to learn things. There's not just one way to do something. How old were you when you, when you put the bag on your back and started so, going? And- I was about 17. Seven, 17, right. I started traveling internationally. And yeah, first trip was Ireland, England, and Wales. Then I came back to Europe a couple months later, or maybe a year later, and did all of Western Europe. And then I was in North Africa for two months by myself. I was about 19. Yeah, so it was at least a year or so in between. Then I went out to Western Canada. I lived in the ski resorts for a year and a half, 18 months, I want to say, which was unbelievable. Mountain biking all summer skiing all winter, drinking every night. It was great. Um, then I took 18 months and I hitchhiked through Central and South America when I was probably about 20, 21, something like that. And then I lived in, Aust- no, then I lived in New Zealand for a year. Then I lived in Australia for three. I was in Singapore for one. And then I was in the Arctic. I spent 366 days in the Arctic. Doing what? Um, I had a contract there for one year. The day after my contract finished, I was done. I got isolation pay. <laughs> I got a tax break. Um, I used to volunteer at the crisis line on the suicide hotline because it was an Aboriginal community. And this community had just, it was just like suicides and everything just rampant. So, I mean, my time in the Arctic was not a happy time. It wasn't a happy place, but I mean, the natural beauty was just unreal. And to be able to experience, you know, 24 hours daylight for three months and then uh, 24 hours darkness for three months. And, you know, it, it was pretty, pretty wild experience. And then what else? Uh, I spent some time in Los Angeles, 
Um, I was in Guatemala for five months. I spent eight years in the Middle East. And then um, I relocated my family to Panama uh, about 15, 14, 15 months ago, something like that. Wow. That's quite the journey. So, and this is, these are the rabbit holes I want to start going down, what you're doing now, how, how you're helping people, um, you know, think about the bigger picture. And, you know, we, we talked before recording, um, obviously as a Bitcoin podcast, those people listening to this have probably been stacking their sats away for, for quite a while or have started now and are of a firm belief that by investing their, their fear into this parallel universe, this parallel financial universe, this store of value mm-hmm. that we believe it is the, the, the hardest money, the soundest money that's ever been created, people are going to become probably in the next three to five years wealthier than they could have imagined and they're going to need some guidance and some options and that's where I think you come into play because I think there is a huge opportunity for people to start thinking very, very differently about their living conditions going forward, whether that's Mm -hmm. moving country or, like you said, um, setting up in a different jurisdiction, um, whatever else. So first of all, that's that's kind of like – you know, scenario-wise, somebody living in um, the U.S., where, like you said, the regulations there are like the the most stringent on the planet. Um, if somebody in the next two to three years, for example, is sitting on a good, in U.S. dollar terms, one to three million dollars, and does not fancy having to ever pay. The capital gains tax on that if they need to convert or whatever else where could they look a little bit closer to home to go and perhaps um relocate or you know what, what would be your advice like um what, what- well okay so let's talk, talk in general terms and once again this is not individual yeah. tax advice and i do recommend that you talk to a cpa who is up to date in all of the laws especially with that are coming out with cryptocurrency and bitcoin because i mean these things are changing very rapidly but let's 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 set the stage a little bit. So people have to understand that out of 193 sovereign nations on planet Earth, as recognized by the United Nations, there are two countries that have worldwide taxation. Okay, the United States and Eritrea, and Eritrea is known for severe human rights violations. Okay, they're the only two countries. Every other country on planet Earth follows different types of tax system. So that means that if you are an expat and you live in, you know, the UAE where I lived um, and you earn money in the UAE, the U.S. government is going to want a piece of that. Whether you spend any time in the U.S. or not, you will still be liable. You still be responsible for filing a tax return. Okay. Now, whether that tax return you actually owe the money is going to be obviously dependent on your situation. That will be dependent on how much you earn, what, wh- how much time you spent out of the country, or how much time you spent in the United States. Um, there's a big thing. There's a big tax break for expats called the Foreign Earned Income Exclusion, which sits. It, it goes up for inflation. An easy number to remember is about a hundred thousand dollars of deductions. I think this year is probably 
I think it's 107,600. Can't remember exactly what it is, uh, but I mean, it's a quick Google search if you type in foreign earned income exclusion. And the easiest way to do this is to show that you were inside a foreign country for 330 days or more. And the inside a foreign country is the key words here. This doesn't mean outside of the United States. So if you are in an airplane, it does not count. If you are in international waters on a cruise, it does not count. If you are sailing around the world on a yacht, it does not count. You actually have to be physically present and this is what the, the test is called, is the physical presence test, is 330 days. So this will give you a good 100, 110K of deductions. The other key word that you have to understand is earned income. So your dividends do not count, okay? Different things like this. This is a job or something that actually pays you an income. So this is the main strategy that a lot of people will use to legally reduce their, their taxes as expats when living overseas as Americans. There's also foreign housing credits. There's also tax credits. There's also a whole bunch of things. But let's put all of that aside for a second. The biggest way that you're going to be able to have tax protection if you are an American citizen is to stop being an American citizen. Okay? And I mean, people like lose their mind when I talk about this because a lot of people attach their nationality to who they are, to their, their pride of who they are as a human being. And patriotism is very rampant and the state wants you to be patriotic. They want you to fight for them. They want you to die for them. They want you to believe what they believe and they, be they think that this is serfdom and you are their slave. They own you, okay? And there's no country in the world who feels this more strongly than the United States, as, as sad as that is. Because if we look at the principles of what the U.S. was founded on, it wasn't this, okay? Now, you might say, okay, wow, I'll stop being an American. That, that's not the scariest thing in the world. But first, you have to understand that you cannot be stateless. That means without being a citizen of another country. Therefore, you need to go out there and become a citizen. And with the citizenship comes the passport. The passport is just a travel document. It's the same as like a driver's license and just lets you to exit and enter other countries. It's not, a, it's not all about the passport, it's about the citizenship. So we deal a lot in citizenship. We also deal in residencies and we deal in residencies that can lead to citizenships. But you have to understand the residency will often just deal with your ability to live in the country, possibly work in the country, but it does not give you the right to the right or the privilege to vote in elections. It does not give you the ability to travel with their passport. And the country has no real responsibility to protect you if something happens. So I'm happy to get into some of the residency and citizenship programs. And I know I just gave everyone probably a lot of information all at once. But I mean, those are important concepts that people need to understand before the conversation moves forward. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. And, you know, I've had experience myself with this, um, living in Singapore for as many years as I did, 15 years over there. Um, I have a very good friend of mine, a U.S. citizen, married a Singaporean lady, started building a family, came to the realization that he's probably going to end up 
living there or another Asian country for the rest of his life, and why the hell am I paying tax to the man? Even, you know, he'd been out there for 15 years as well at that point. Um, still so difficult to give that thing up. And it is literally just a little booklet. Um, but like you say, the, this nationalism is driven into every single one of us. Every country is guilty of, um, and it comes back to the school education system. It comes back to the school US, time. It's, it's inundated. Pledge allegiance to the flag, Since right? you are a child, since when you put your kids into a government-run school, they are going to be pushed in that direction. I still remember having to sing the national anthem. Mm. Like that is so bizarre to me now. Like I could not imagine singing the Canadian national anthem right now, um, and then feeling pride for that. Right? I don't know. I just and maybe I'm crazy. Like I don't know. Maybe you guys are listening to this and going, "Wow, no, the, the national anthem is amazing." I, I'm super proud of my country. Um, I'm, I'm not proud of my country. I don't identify with my country. I identify with myself. I, I identify with my friends and the family and people I surround myself with and uh, humanity as a whole. Um, yeah, I'm probably the least Canadian Canadian you'll ever meet, I would say. <laughs> well, I, you know, I feel the same way. I, I just, it says on my Twitter thing, global citizen, right? I, I don't identify now with being from any particular country. Yes, if people ask me, where are you from? Well, I'm English, you know, but people could guess that because I speak with a native tongue. Um, but there's this idea of, you know, that like the planet doesn't know. It's been divided up into all of these like ridiculously like retarded borderlines and it, it, it just... Well, look at the borderlines that were drawn in Africa and how those types of things were decided. They would put borderlines right in between tribes. People that, uh, two groups would absolutely hate each other and now they're inside one country. Half their people would be on one side of the border, half the people would be on the other side. Now they're, to they're supposed to say, okay, uh, Belgium owns this country and France owns that country or the UK owns this one or Portugal owns that one. And it's like, it's just so arbitrary. It makes no sense whatsoever. No, it doesn't. Um, so, okay. So we, we've maybe um, people are now thinking, yeah, you know what? It wouldn't be too bad a thing just to ditch that kind of identity, which is all it really is. It's just an identity. It's like, oh, I'm from this part of the world. And, you know, therefore I am. Um, if they can get over that, then that unlocks so much potential. Like if it's you the don't... only way to really get away from U.S. taxes, 100%, especially for those upper income earners. I mean, if you're making $40,000 a year and you want to move overseas, no problem. I'll set you guys up in 10 minutes, you know, give you the, give you the forms to fill out and you can probably do it yourself. You don't really need me. I mean, and you can go and live in a tax-free country. Come down to Panama, where I am. Go live in the UAE, where I lived for eight years. Go to Belize or, I mean, there's just so many countries out there. Like I said, 40, 50, 60 countries that you can live in, either zero tax or almost no tax. Um, even Ireland has low taxes. Portugal has the non-DOM uh, system set up. Like Malta, Cyprus... You know, you can get tax credits on Malta that will take your corporation from a 35% down to less than 5%. 
I mean, but those are really strategies for people who have a lot more money. And if this Bitcoin thing works out, then that could be the kind of people that are going to be looking for answers, especially if they are of libertarian persuasion or um, a little bit, not even, they don't even need to kind of call themselves libertarian, that they might just be a little suspicious of the state, you know? Um, there's going to be a hell of a lot more people coming in your direction, I think, looking for some kind of advice. Yeah, we um, with lots of crypto people, crypto anarchists, libertarian-minded who are heavy into Bitcoin. I've been in Bitcoin since late, late 2016. I mean, I understand a lot of how it works. I would never call myself a specialist on the tax for Bitcoin, so I probably would not want to get into too many tax-specific questions. But as I was saying to your daughter before, I mean, my secret is I work with the CPAs and I work with the lawyers. And then if I don't know the answer to someone, I know who to ask and or make a refer for my clients to the lawyer, to the accountant. And I would always encourage people to pay for good advice. Like, go out there and pay. Don't try to get things for free because... If you pay on the front end or you pay on the back end, you're going to be paying no matter what. And I mean, if you make a mistake with these things, there can be tens of thousands of dollars worth of fine. There can be, in certain certain circumstances, jail time. Um, I've seen with the U.S., which is a disgusting behavior right now, in the United States, they are confiscating people's passports. If they are suspected, not proven, suspected of owning, of owing more than $50,000 in taxes, they can confiscate your passport. And when they do this, this rough back of the napkin type of math, they're not putting in things like, do you have a business? What are your deductions? So, I mean, you might be, you might actually owe nothing and they could take your passport. We've had it happen with clients. They show up at the airport and the police are there waiting for them. They take their passport until it's sorted out and it can take months. And imagine if you're an expat, you live overseas, maybe you were, you married um, a foreign purpose person, maybe you have children overseas and you can't get back for four months, six months, eight months while you're sorting through this. If you had another travel document, if you had a second passport, there might be doors that are open to you. But if you're traveling exclusively on a U.S. passport, they can actually make you a prisoner inside the borders. That's scary. For me, that's like super scary. That is, man. That's, that's, that's nuts. That's when you realize, right? That's that's the biggest wake-up call right there. Man. Okay, so what got you into Bitcoin? Mm -hmm. Of course I am. I'm not, uh, no, I, I don't. What, what, why? What, what, what was the, what was like the, the kind of like, uh, what was that touch point? Like, you know. I think that I got into Bitcoin for the same reasons that I got into precious metals and I've been into precious metals for longer than Bitcoin. But, I mean, once you start learning and studying economics and specifically Austrian School of Economics that things cannot be centrally planned and what the Federal Reserve does and how this works, or any of the reading about Rome and look how Rome fell as a country, as an empire, what happened when they started shaving their money and then diluting it. And I mean, it just makes sense that we can't have something that 
is just based on nothing. And if you look at gold, and, and I, I am a huge proponent for physical metal, I mean, it's divisible, it holds value, it's a store of value, it's easily transportable, and we've been using it for more than 5,000 years as a source of money. Some history reports 50,000 years it has been important to human beings in one fashion or another, whether that be jewelry or uh, decorations, ornaments. 50,000 years gold has been important to human beings. I think it's going to survive the next 10 years. But a lot of the things that we hold dear to gold, we've now added... We've now put that in place with Bitcoin. Bitcoin also scratches a lot of those itches, which I think is super important. And it's so funny when you talk to people about Bitcoin because, I mean, we started, I started having the conversation almost four years ago with people, and they would say, you know, it's based on nothing. Well, it's like, well, it's, that's not really true. It's based on math, you know. Do you, do you like to live in your high-rise apartment? You know, you better believe in math if you do. Um, you know, do you, do you like using the internet? Well, you better believe in math. Um, I think it's that constant that we can be secure in. And, and I'm just so not trusting of anything that comes from the government that, yeah, I, I want to find an alternative. So, yeah. And that's exactly why we're here. Um, that's, um, it is this silent opt out. You know, it, it's the the silent vote. It's the the silent revolution. Some people are calling it. Um, you know, the, the 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 system that we have grown up in is going to topple. Uh, but this year, well, not this year, but this time, no heads need to roll. Mm-hmm. You know, like as you said, you look back throughout history, all of these revolutions that um, you know the the fourth turning, whatever you want to call it, um, at these inflection points huge amounts of violence, huge amounts of uprisings. And uh, and now, literally all you need to do is a couple of clicks on a computer and you're casting your vote. And mm-hmm. you are, you know, you, you're, it, it's, it's crazy. It's crazy that we are living through this period of time. And, I mean, it blows my mind. It really does. <laughs> it's like, it's nuts. I agree that it's a very exciting time. And I think, I mean, we're, we're pretty close in age. I think it's so amazing when we think back to what it was like when we were children and our ability to use the internet and share information and the way it is today. I think that we are seeing so many changes of things that have been the status quo for decades, if not centuries. Um, I think that we're definitely seeing it with education, which was what is happening now with coronavirus. Everybody expected that homeschooling was going to be a bad idea and kids wouldn't be able to learn. Well, it turns out the child can do in less than three hours what they were able to do in an eight-hour school day, and then they can go out there and learn for themselves and have fun and do whatever they want. Um, We're seeing it with any type of white-collar work. The expectation was that we always needed to send them to an office that this was the most productive and you had to keep an eye on people because human beings are are perpetual children and you can't trust them for anything. And I would argue that is probably the real purpose of school is to keep you as a perpetual child, that they want you to be 
ultra sen- ultra specialized in one thing, but not know how to do anything else. But now we're seeing when people work remotely, actually they are more productive. They are doing more hours, not less. We are not wasting time in a commute. We are not wasting our time in endless meetings. Um, there are so many things. And we're, we're speaking today on Zoom, which is an amazing platform, which I'm happy happily a paid user of. But there's also um, Telegram. And then you have things like Slack, which is already set up and built like this, is the next generation of communication. I mean, there's a thousand new companies that are coming out all the time to keep people more effective and better com- better able to communicate with one another. Um, I know since I entered the lockdown, I've gotten so many things done. Don't get me wrong. I hate the lockdown. I think it's disgusting the way that governments are treating their citizens. But at the same time, I'm able to get so many things done, and I know so many other people are as well. It's always going to be a mindset. There's also there's always going to be some type of a mental health thing that people are going to need to keep in mind, staying positive. But I mean, these types of systems are in place already, and it's like they're given their chance right now to shine. Like No one thought this would work, and suddenly it works. Like Life is still going on, and everybody's doing it remotely. So how big of a gap is it for to say, you know, when this is over, I don't want to return to the office. I would, I would argue that a lot of employers will not be opening up their offices again. They're going to keep their entire team remote. Well, let's explore that a little bit. So why are they going to hire an American to do a job that they could hire someone in Mexico to do for half the price or less? They don't need the person to come into the office. It can be done remotely. I mean, tons of, tons of Mexicans were educated in the United States and are native, native English speakers. So, I mean... In the same vein, why do you need to be U.S.-based? You know, if you are, um, if you have white-collar work, if you work in an office, instead of just moving out of state or out of the city, why don't you move to another country? Why don't you move to another country that has better tax laws, a higher standard of living, with a lower cost of living, with better weather, where you can eat organic fruits and vegetables every single day, learn a new language, have a bit of adventure, I mean, you don't have the kids anymore that are going to be holding you back because of the neighborhood schools. You take the kids with you. They're already doing their education online. And I mean, kids thrive in an environment like this. Kids will make friends anywhere. You send them to the park. They don't know how to speak the language. They will come up with a game. I swear to God, I got a four-year-old. Trust me, I know. (laughs) Um, You've got four kids. I'm sure you've seen that they were able to make friends when they were traveling around the world. You can see I'm nodding and smiling and uh, almost laughing to myself. It's so true. Uh, beautiful story. We we turned up at a playground. We'd been trawling the kids around um, Angkor Wat in, um, in Cambodia for like uh, two or three days straight. And all they wanted to do was like, right, we're done with that. We need, we need some like uh, kid time now. So we took them to the local park. And Lauren at that stage was only three and a half. Right? And so would have been Samuel. And these guys, they got to that playground and they were running around playing tag with the local Cambodian kids within two minutes. And um, we saw the same time and time again on um, beaches in, uh, you know, in, in any country we were on. You, you turn up on the beach and, uh, yeah, they just 
they go. They're building sandcastles, jumping waves. It happens, right? It's just that's learning through play. That, that's, that's communication. The purest form of communication is play. Correct. I would agree with that. And as to my earlier comment about school alienate, alienating a child from their family, think about in this example, you take your child traveling with you and you're homeschooling. You're giving them one-on-one attention and love at the pace that they need. And then you're taking them out to play with other kids and they get to make friends with people that might not speak the same language, that might not be the color, same color skin, that have different customs, different religion. I mean, think about what that is going to teach the child. That's not alienation. That's acceptance. It's so true. And that was the, one of the biggest takeaways that we got from, from doing that experience of traveling around with them, that you know they, they, they don't see height, weight, color, color of hair, color of eyes, glasses or not glasses or, you know, funky clothes or not funky clothes, whatever. doesn't matter. And you want to go? Yeah, let's play tag. Boom. And it doesn't matter how old they are. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's brilliant. So I want to ask you then, what's like a hot list of countries that you would kind of uh, like, you know, if you were to give like uh, the classic – you know, top three countdown or something of countries that people might be interested in uh, in looking a little bit closer at if they were thinking along the lines of, hmm, I could throw in the passport, I could go live somewhere else, I could get residency, I could live in a better climate with better quality of life, better food. And by the way, it's not like you can never go back and visit family, right? I mean, of course, of course, like, of course. Yeah, it's not like you leave and... And, the door's and closed. let me just clarify a little bit more as well. To get a second passport, you don't need to give up your U.S. citizenship. That's just if you if you do plan on making millions or tens of millions of dollars or hundreds of millions of dollars, and you want to make sure that in the future you will not be paying taxes, the only surefire way is to make sure that you are no longer a U.S. citizen. But for a lot of people, just having a second passport, a second citizenship will open up a ton of options. I mean, there's still ways to structure things without giving up your U.S. citizenship. So I guess the best way, okay, we can take this in two directions, Daniel. I mean, I can kind of run through the different ways that you can get a passport and then give you a couple of examples of good countries that do this. Or we can Mm -hmm. just talk about lifestyle in general and what I think are cool countries to spend time in. Because just because you can't become a citizen of one country doesn't mean that you actually want to or need to live in that country. Like, Oh, man. There's like, another rabbit hole. Okay. <laughs> exactly. Like, I can get you a citizenship at a country. Right now, we can apply together. We'll help you do the whole entire process. Within 90 days, you will have a passport. You will be a citizen of that country, and you do not need to visit the country. You can do the entire thing remotely. Okay, that's a mind blower. Yeah. Let's talk about that. All right. So there's many countries that do this. You're going to look at probably four or five in Europe and probably a similar amount in the Caribbean. We also have Vanuatu. Vanuatu is an amazing country. You can actually pay in cryptocurrency. You can pay in Bitcoin to become a citizenship. Yeah. Price start at about $160,000 for the individual. And then you can roughly add about 20K per dependent. Now you can have your 
children who are under the age of 18 as a dependent. You can have your spouse. You can have children who are over the age of 18 who are dependent on you. So if you have a child who um, is for some reason is not able to enter the workforce, you can have them. And I believe I would have to actually check my personal notes, but that you could probably have a child who is above the age of 18 who is still a student who could be able to apply under you. I think that you can also, with Venuatu, apply for your parents. So for example, my mother travels with me full time. She helps care for our four-year-old. And I've done residencies for her under my name and I sponsor her. So Venuatu is one option. Um, they have a very strong passport. They can enter the Schengen region of the European Union. It is a peaceful country. It's a peaceful country. They, it's a completely organic country. It's a fully organic, all the foods, fruits, and vegetables. As that, just so people understand, it's in the South Pacific. You're looking at a couple hours flight from New Zealand or Australia. Um, there's no nuclear power there. They don't allow nuclear uh, submarines in their waters. I've been there. It's so stunning, beautiful. If you guys like scuba diving, I mean, this is like the mecca for wreck diving. They have the USS President Coolidge, which is was a ship carrier that held, I think, something like 2,000 soldiers on it. And when they were coming into the harbor in Vanuatu uh, back in World War II, they hit one of their own mines and it sank right off the shore. So you can literally walk out to this wreck, this wreck and it goes anywhere from 33 meters depth all the way down to 63 meters depth. And it's on its side. And in the cargo hold is like jeeps and cranes and all this stuff. And you're going through... Um, passageways and hallways and elevator shafts and into the captain's corners and no like, it's it's nuts it's nuts like you i dove it probably a dozen times in a week or so and felt like i barely scratched the surface they also <laughs> i don't want to go on too much of a tangent about diving they have another one it's called million dollar point when the u.s left venuatu they took all their military equipment drove it off of the pier into the open water and just sank it and they have millions of dollars of um, vehicles, of building equipment, equipment for roads, cranes, things like this, um, ammunition, like just everything. They just dumped it off the coast. So, I mean, there's just crazy dives there that you can't do anywhere else in the world. Plus, they have a beautiful reef. Plus, I mean, the people are really, really sweet and very, very laid back and chilled out and um, cost of living is not very high. You know, you can buy property right on the beach and just have a super, super nice life. Or you can just have the passport, like I said, use it as a travel document. It's a tax-free country, by the way. They have uh, no inheritance tax, no land tax, no income tax, no state tax, no capital gains tax, no dividends tax. It is truly a tax-free country. So you're not going to be paying anything there. You can figure, yeah, about 160 k to get going and you can pay in Bitcoin. Some of the other I can't believe it, that they would accept Bitcoin. That's crazy. Yep. There's only a couple places in the world that will allow you to do that, but Venuatu is a notable one for sure. Do you know of any others? Um, I think that some of the other countries you can make the investment in the property in Bitcoin. So, for example, a lot of the other countries you end up buying real estate. This $160,000 mm -hmm. is an investment in the citizenship itself. Okay, uh -huh. so you're literally paying right to the agent or right, pay, right to the government agent 
uh, Bitcoin. But I've worked with some countries that do residency. Like we can use Belize for an example. Um, I work with a developer that will accept Bitcoin. They'll actually accept anything on the top 10 list for largest market cap for cryptocurrency. So if you are an Ethereum millionaire, um, they will accept that. At $250,000, you will qualify for permanent residency. And their, I think their condos start at like $179,000. So for $179,000 plus legal fees, you can pay in cryptocurrency, get a condo, and have a residency to live full-time in Belize, which is also a stunning, beautiful country. I've been to multiple times. I started going to Belize more than almost 20 years ago and seen the country develop. A lot since then. And that's a, a new visa that you will not have, hear anybody else talking about. If you go and look up Belize visas, you will just be finding the retirement visa, which is notoriously difficult to get. But because my friend is actually the ambassador of Belize, I have a lot of inside information on how that works. This is nuts. <laughs> and this is, this is like for me now, I'm thinking countries are except this is the dream this is where game theory starts to play out in the whole bitcoin so like you know if that if the vanuatu government did you say it was like directly to the government or is officials of the government yeah like you or? would okay so the, the government hires a registered agent and uh-huh. there are, i think there are only several res- registered agents and we're partners with one of the registered agents so we've done our due diligence a lot of due diligence we've had my business partners and i have had relationship with these people for more than 10 years and they we work directly with them so i mean i'm not suggesting that you guys just go out there and pay the first person that you find online that does this (laughs) you really have to do your work and just so we understand escape artists started as a publishing house working in the offshore space in 1997 Okay, so we have the longevity. We are the legacy brand in this space. I took over the company about 15, 16 months ago, and we're just seeing crazy increases on our numbers, which is helping so many people right now. And every day, Daniel, I get up and I don't want this to sound cliche, but I swear to God, I wake up in the morning and I jump out of bed and I am so happy to help people starve the beast. Like Mm. I just... Every day that I can help people to legally reduce their tax bill is like the greatest day ever. I look in the mirror and I'm like, I'm so happy with what I see. I really believe in what I'm doing, honestly. So, I mean, if this stuff sounds attractive to you guys, you don't have to work with me by any means. But I do suggest that you do a lot of due diligence on whoever you decide to work with. Because there are good people in the industry and there are bad people in the industry. I mean... Mm. It's something you do want to be careful, especially at $160,000 or $279,000, like I quoted for uh, a condo. I mean, know who you're dealing with. So what I'm taking out of that right now is the options open to people are, it's almost like you go from not ever of having this thought cross your mind to the paradox of choice. Mm-hmm. because once you scratch that surface and start speaking to someone like you, mm-hmm. um, you're blowing my mind that I'm already way down this rabbit hole of flag theory mm-hmm. and whatever else and digital nomadery. And, you know, I've been living that life since 2014, but now countries, nation States 
if you want to call them that, whatever you want to call them, are accepting Bitcoin for citizenship. Like Vanuatu in the next five to 10 years could go from like some sleepy backwater, like not heard of to one of the richest nations on earth. Yeah, well, <laughs> you have to also understand that a lot of these countries only have a certain amount that they're going to sell every year. And mm. a lot of countries, they max out on how many citizenships they'll do. So, I mean, it's one of those things that you, if it does sound attractive to you, you need to get going on it. Because mm -hmm. as things move forwards, like they don't want millions of people in their country. This is a honest and ethical way that they can generate revenue for the country that benefits people without having to tax them. But I mean, there is some type of a ceiling on how many people they will accept. And right. there, are, there are citizenship by investment programs that existed five years ago that no longer exist today. So it's a, it's a moving target. Correct, um, correct. Now, I think, I think going forward, we're going to see more and more countries start floating exactly what Vanuatu are doing and go, right, okay, come land here, bring your Bitcoin. It's going to be X amount of Bitcoin to enter the country. You get immediate passport. Um, and I'm thinking Europe is probably prime and ripe for that. Just because of like uh, the well, you have to understand that there's still a lot of due diligence that needs to go through. So I mean, if you have a criminal record, especially anything from violent nature, you're going to find it uh, very difficult. If you were arrested ten years ago and served time for a violent crime, I mean, your chances are very, very low. I mean, there might be something if one of your listeners has, if this speaks to them, I, you know, I would approach us. Well, I'll put you in touch with one of the lawyers and we can look at it in depth. Um, probably not citizenship, but poss possibly residency overseas. Mm -hmm. um, there's still a lot of paperwork that will need to be done. That's why you work with a registered agent. That's why you work with someone like us, um, you know, who has the lawyers and does this for a living. I mean, I would never suggest even trying one of these things on yourself. Even when I moved to Panama, I do this for a living and I mm -hmm. used a lawyer to get my residency. Like, I mean, I would never try to do this shit myself because it's too complicated. <laughs> there's too many nuances. There's different languages, but you can expect, okay, you're going to need passport size photos. You're going to need an application uh, thing that'll need to be filled out, a form that will need to be filled out. You need to, going to need a criminal record check in any country that you've spent over a certain amount of time in. Mm -hmm. It will need to be on the national level, not on the municipal or, or state level. That means you're going to need an FBI check. You're not going to need your local police department. For Canadians, that would be an RCMP. I mean, you're going to need proof of funds. You're going to need to show where the funds come from. So I don't think that at any time soon, there's going to be an instance where you're going to be able to just walk up at the door, uh, drop 100K or a couple hundred K, and get residency or get citizenship. It's going to still be, I think the fastest one you're going to get is about 90 days, which is still right. crazy fast when you think about it. Yes. You know, crazy, crazy day. Residencies, I could see, you know, maybe 30 days, 45 days, 60 days. But for a passport in hand, I think we could probably get you 90 days, especially in the Caribbean countries. If you look at St. Lucia, if you look at Dominica, all those passports start at around, a hundred to one hundred and thirty thousand dollars, and then you're going to add on your legal fees, and depending on how many dependents you have, you can chuck those on as well. You know that ten to twenty grand per person. But I mean, 
90 days is probably a good time frame. So now you're dangling the Caribbean bait. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Well, if you want to hear one that's even crazier, so right now there's a sale. I swear to God, it's like going to Lowe's or something like that. Yeah, going to Walmart. They've slashed the price for St. Lucia from a 500,000 US dollar investment in the country to only a $250,000 investment in the country. Yeah, to get citizenship. So St. Lucia have gone 50% off. At the moment, but it's not going to last. Like, I mean, a couple more months, and we're 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 selling them right now. I mean, if you guys, do you know where that? Where, where does that investment go? Do you have any idea? Like, well, there's you know? different investments in different things. I mean, some of it is in property. Some of it, is, some of it is. Uh, there's different options because a lot of countries have different tiers, but usually it's either just an investment in the citizenship itself. Those are usually the ones that come out to 100, 130, 160,000. Then you can have ones that will be, you know, maybe the two to $300,000. Well, in Europe, they can reach a million or two million. And those are in non-interest bearing loans or bonds to the government. So you, you give the country a loan for five years. And in that, in return, they give you a citizenship. At the end of five years, you get your money back minus the legal fees. But then you have to think, okay, well, what are the opportunity costs? So if I were to invest, say, $250,000 and I had put that money into the stock market or the real estate or into Bitcoin, what would I have earned in that time frame? Um, Same thing like a million dollars. Well, if you put a million dollars in Bitcoin, you're probably going to be better off uh, just putting it in Bitcoin and paying the $100,000 as like a gift. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Uh, Especially... I'd say the, the average is five years. There are certain countries that will do three years, um, but the average is five years. You can also tack on certain things if you make an investment in your own business and you create jobs for the local people there. So some countries, you know, if you hire five locals and keep them employed for the entire time, that can give you a discount on the price. Um, some countries, it's like 20 employees that you have to hire. So, I mean, if you want to move your entire business there, like a factory or something like that. Something like that make, might make sense. But as you can see, I mean, there's not a clear what is the Man, that's, best. That's crazy. Really, so if, you know, what if is the, your if, situation? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've got Daniel speechless, but everybody. I'm thinking of the listeners now. Like people are going to be like sitting here. They might be driving their car. Like they, they might have even just pulled over and like got the pen out. Like what the hell? I got this, this, this you know, back of the envelope math. If somebody wanted to engage with you and, you know, get your insights, get your, do, do you, how do you structure your business? How do you, do you like, um, if it's just purely consultation, is that one thing or you, you don't care for consultation? That's too much bullshit. You just want the guys that are going to come in and move me. Like, you know, what, do you know what I mean? What, what's the, Yeah, so we don't do we don't do relocations. We do the legal structures, we do the bank pa- the bank accounts, we do the residencies and the citizenship in certain countries. We do the we do the citizenship by investment for most countries. I actually can't think of any country we wouldn't do the citizenship by investment, um, and we do the residency for several countries. I mean, 
we're not doing things like my grandfather was born in Ireland, therefore I want to apply for citizenship there, which is an option for some people. I mean, that's not my business. There are other businesses out there that do that. And I mean, I think that those are probably worthwhile services to pay for and to get the help with. We, we focus on the European, the Vanuatu, the Caribbean countries. Um, I mean, if you guys need help or a consultation for $5,000, we do a package where we'll sit on the phone with you, go through your business, your situation, and then go out there and do all the research for you on the best options, present them to you, help you to make a decision. And then once you've made the decision, then we can assist you in actually acquiring the citizenship. But that 5k is not going mm. to be part of the government fees. I mean, obviously that's our fees for our work. Um, you know, and that would be done with one of the lawyers that I work directly with. And I mean, like, like, uh, one of my lawyers likes to say, this is not a cookie cutter. You know, we're not trying to sell you any one thing. We sit down with a pen and paper and, and go through it line by line. And it, it's really tailor-made based on your needs. We do the exact same thing with, uh, asset protection strategies. Um, we'll sit down, the lawyer will sit down with you figure out your situation, do all the estate planning, how you make sure that the money gets to your family, how to, to structure everything so that you are tax optimized. And then after that, then we can assist you doing the work or we can refer you to someone and else. And like you said before, no you either in the pay on the way in help you do or it. you pay on the way out. Or exactly. I would rather people know what they are paying, you know? Okay, this is the price. This is what it's going. This is what we agree on. This will be done. We do the work, and then we have another conversation. It's transparency. You know, I don't want to. I don't want people to ever feel like they were taken advantage of. Is five thousand dollars nothing? No, it's not nothing. <laughs> but I mean, go and make a mistake at this and see what it costs you. Then go out there and try to buy a gray passport, or go try to buy a passport with someone who takes your initial deposit, and then you never hear from them again. It's happened. I mean, it's happened more than once. I can promise you that. And I won't name any names. I'm not going to name and shame yeah, here, but I, uh, I know for sure crazy. it's happened. Well, I think there's loads of, um, loads of stuff there for the listeners to, uh, to be thinking about. Um, you got me thinking. Uh, my mind's racing so fast. I don't even know what next question to ask. Well, okay. So let me just put in one other thing because, I mean – you don't have to go out there and spend 5K to work with a professional like me right away. If you guys want the really cutting edge research, the things that are being done right now by the lawyers, by the CPA, by me, check out our magazine. It's called Escape Artist Insiders. It is a brand new publication. It's 100 bucks a year. I mean, all the articles are written by professionals in the offshore space. These are guys that charge you know, $1,000, $1,200 an hour for their time. And I put the magazine together. I'm the chief publisher, the director. I'm super, super proud of it. If you go to escapeartist.store, you should see it right at the very top, Escape Artist Insiders Magazine. It's a digital magazine. It's the first of every month. So, I mean, Whenever you sign up, you're going to get 12 issues going forwards. I do not offer back issues. So I would encourage people, if you're listening to this and you want to learn more about second passports and tax strategies and offshore bank accounts and how to how everything fits together, 
then I would encourage you to spend the hundred bucks, pay for the real life research. Don't try to go to YouTube and get this stuff done uh, for free. I mean, like I said before, you either pay on the front end or you pay on the back end, but you're going to be paying. So um, you, you can trust the publication that where the information has come from, that it is honest and ethical. It comes from a libertarian perspective. It comes from a sound money perspective that everybody who writes on the magazine has had an intense amount of due diligence done on them. If I haven't known them for many years, at least my business partners have been known them for at least 10 years. Um, so we've been very U S centric on this and I, you know, uh, I probably got a lot of UK listeners screaming at the, um, at their, their headphones right now. Like, but what about the UK? What about the UK? Where should we head? What do you think? Well, the UK, Canada, Australia, we all have very similar tax systems. It's all, a lot of our systems are, and our laws are based on UK mm -hmm. common law. So the good news is it's a lot easier for us. It's not as complicated. There'll be really no instance where you would need to give up your UK citizenship or Canadian citizenship. If you are living overseas and you have registered yourself as a non-resident citizen of your country, you should not have any tax obligations to your country. That means that you are not spending, um, you're not spending time in your country of birth. So if you're from anywhere in the UK and you live in a place like Panama, um, you should be basically tax-free. But you are going to need to register. You are going to need to know that your tax authority understands that you do not live there, that you do not plan on coming back, that you do not hold assets there. You might need to liquidate what you do have. Um, there might be taxes that you need to pay on those assets before you leave. Um, you will need to show most likely, like, and, and I'm speaking specifically to Canadians because I know the Canadian law very well, but I know that the laws in the UK and Canada are really, really simple, similar. So, I mean, please do talk to your CPA. That you need to pay any type of taxes when you exit and you will need to show that you do not plan on going back. Like I plan on never going back to Canada. I mean, I'll go back and I'll see my folks or see my old man or something like that, but that's it. I'll, I'll never live there again. And then once you base yourself in a country that has either zero taxation and we can use like the UAE, like I mentioned earlier, as a zero tax country, lots of Middle Eastern countries are zero tax, um, Bahrain and Kuwait and a lot of the GCC countries, some of the Caribbean countries, or a territorial tax system like Panama or Costa Rica uh, or Belize. I mean, it's pretty much that simple. Once you get the residency in that place and you spend more than 130, 183 days there, you're going to be considered a tax resident of that country. You earn your money outside of the country. I mean, easy All right, easy, we're going to talk some more um, as we, uh, as the, the rest of the year plays out and um, as the Bitcoin price changes, I'm sure. And uh, I urge any listeners to, uh, to get in touch. Please tell the listeners about your book as well because uh, this could be something that um, is uh, the first touch point. Like, let's get Mikhail's book and figure out what's going on. Mm -hmm. Yep. If you go to Amazon and you type in expat, E-X-P-A-T, secrets, 
you will find the book or you can just go to expatsecretsbook.com. It should redirect you directly to Amazon. Um, yeah, Expat Secrets, how to pay zero taxes, live overseas, <laughs> and make giant piles of money. Uh, very humble title, I know. But that that's me, you know, real humble guy. So um, the book's a couple years old, but I think that the concepts that are described in it are similar to the things that we're talking about right now. It is a great primer for anybody who is interested in going overseas. I think it has about 18 different chapters, each specializing on one of these things, um, whether that be the banking, the incorporation, the residency, the passport, the language, you know, which we didn't get into today, to today, but obviously is an important part of living overseas. Um, investments, real estate, um, everything is just slightly different when you're an expat or when you're a digital nomad or when you live overseas. Um, so I think that's a great primer for people. If you want the the real cutting edge stuff, as I did a shameless plug earlier, sign up for the magazine. I'm really proud of it. I think it's really good. Um, it's where a lot of my focus is. It's where the majority of my focus is. We're just growing the magazine like gangbusters right now. Um, or just visit uh, escapeartist.com or expatmoneyshow.com. Um, you can sign up, sign up for the podcast, Expat Money Show. And we're approaching 100 episodes of the podcast, which I'm so happy about. Um, it's been a three-year journey. We've had people like uh, Doug Casey on my show, uh, Richard Mayberry, um, Jim Rogers. I've had Grant Cardone on my show. All, just like a ton of really smart individuals who've just made crap loads of money um, and done it in tax-efficient manners. And we talk about their life and their story. And these are people who all of them have become friends of mine and I've emailed and asked lots of questions too. So I know that's a lot of, lot of different places we're sending people, which is kind of against the marketing rules, but uh, a lot to say, a lot of things to look into. <laughs> that's brilliant. Um, and a final question. I, uh, I ask at the end of each show, um, if you could, with your knowledge of sound money and Austrian economics and libertarianism and Bitcoin, if you could wrap that up into one single red pill, a classic matrix, red pill, blue pill, and you could, you only have one red pill to give to one person, who would that person be and why? Wow. All right. Um... Who's the chairman of the Federal Reserve at the moment? I think that I think they should swallow <laughs> that. But I think that honestly, they probably understand these things better than anyone else. That's how they're so evil because they go exactly against all of this. Um, I think there's Satan incarnate. They are the Antichrist. So, so not that guy. <laughs> now, I think that um, if I if I could sway anybody's mind, I mean, I think that Federal Reserve. Uh, I think the Federal Reserve is probably Jerome the most Powell. evil organization in the world. So that's who I would want to sway to sound money. Because I think that if you were able to change any of the policies there, the ripple-on effect would just be so massive throughout planet Earth. And like, I mean, just just start with the United States. Everybody follows what's going on in the United States. They got all this horseshit from them. So, Yeah, perfect answer, man. Well, Mikhail, it's been a great eye-opening, crazy interview, <laughs> which I hope has brought lots of um, talking points. I imagine the listeners now are going to be having conversations with their uh, significant others uh, this evening <laughs> or at breakfast. Um, 
a lot of uh, things to think about here, a lot of things to unpack. Um, I urge anybody to to reach out to Mikel and um, he, he's, he's ready, he's waiting. Uh, like you said, you love waking up and, and helping people. Yeah, what was it? Starve the beast. Absolutely, bro. I love what I do. I think it's amazing and I'm so happy to be able to help people and you know, I'm very fortunate. I have millions of people who read my stuff and listen to what I have to say. And it's a humbling experience. And I, I have, I understand what that means. And I'm just so driven to help people that I just, I can't let people down. Like I just, I'm just a workaholic. I just, I'm constantly trying to learn and figure things out and try things out. Like I'm, I do boots on the ground testing these types of things and getting the advice from the professionals, from the lawyers. And I mean, I'm just so passionate about what I do. So anybody that I can help is in, is a gift. So I'm so grateful to people. All right, man. Well, thanks for spending the time. Thanks for inviting me on, uh, you onto your show. Um, it's been great getting to know you. Um, there's a friendship, immediate friendship built here. I look forward to speaking to you again. And um, yeah. Thank you so much, man. My pleasure. Take care, Daniel. Hey, guys. Thank you so much for joining us today and listening to um, this episode of the Once Bitten podcast and Mikel and his thoughts um, around, uh, well, Right at the beginning there, talking about um, schooling with, with Lauren, which was um, very interesting. Um, you can see how that might shape a young man's life. And, you know, if you are a parent of, uh, of kids of, of that age right now that are going through some strange times with regards to education choices, you know, the point is you have a choice. That's the choice. The choice is you, you don't just have to follow this narrative that we've been force-fed our whole lives there is a choice it's not mandatory it's not compulsory um might not be the case in all of the countries i'm not exactly sure where everybody's listening from but certainly um in most countries you have the choice so um you know it's another rabbit hole but well worth exploring but you know let's talk about the meat of the subject here and what mikel can and his team and his network of people are going to be able to offer Bitcoiners in the next um, two to five years when there's certainly some people out there that are gonna be looking to change their situation, change their whole lives, look for plan B. When you're already looking for plan B in the financial realm, I'm sure you'll be looking next for plan B in either the educational realm for your, your kids or plan B where you live, where you set up, how you structure your life, um, because this is going to be something that you're going to have more time to look at, more resources, and you're going to have, I'd imagine, assets that you're going to want to protect. Uh, and you can do that. And it's just, it feels like a huge mind shift when you first start looking into this. Like, what the hell is he talking about? You know, go get a passport in Belize, go buy a, uh, an apartment over there and get citizenship, or go and live in Panama for five years, or go and um, 
Yeah, like pay in Bitcoin for a passport from Vanuatu. I mean, this is this is crazy stuff. I had no idea this kind of um, like that specific example. I had no idea what's going on. But you know, and these things are going to change, right? They're going to change very rapidly as game theory starts playing out among nation states. I mean, we're seeing it already on the corporate front. MicroStrategy are already in. And the only reason we know that is because they're a publicly listed company and they have to, they, 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 by law, they have to um, confess. Uh, confess is not the right word. Report. Um, I suppose confess could be a good word as well. Report exactly, you know, what they're up to and what, what they cash balances look like and what their holdings are and what they're doing with their capital. They have to do that. How many private companies are there that we just don't know about that have diversified into Bitcoin already because they see it. They they see this change. And if this this is happening on the in the in the corporate world, it's only a matter of time if it's not already happening at the nation state level. And then the race is on because there's gonna be countries out there that have been just completely obliterated by the last couple of decades that are just desperate to rebuild themselves and are going to be desperate to attract talent and wealth. And guess what? It's going to be pretty simple for one of these companies just to turn around, companies, countries one day, just to turn around, and companies for that matter, just to turn around and say, um, hey, if we're a company, we will pay in Bitcoin to attract talent. Or if we're a country, hey, um, you know, come live here. If you bring um, your family and your wealth and X amount of uh, Bitcoin and collateral up front, you got a passport, you got citizenship, and there'll be no tax for the rest of your life. Deals like that are going to rain down. I, I can, I can, um, I can see it now. It's it's going to be very, very interesting space to keep a close eye on and this is where Mikel will come into play he's a Bitcoiner um, so he knows that world pretty well um, he's much more into the the harder um, money scene of, uh, of gold and silver and I mean the, the word harder there in the fact that you can actually touch it um, but it's only a matter of time before I'm sure Bitcoin um, blows his mind beyond all recognition of um, of anything else. But he's definitely way into the rabbit hole and someone to have on our side. So make sure you go and um, follow Mikel and make sure you, you sign up to his newsletter. He's got a bunch of newsletters on his website that are just completely free. Uh, the one he was talking about in this podcast, I think it's a hundred bucks, he said. Um, and you get uh, absolutely everything from not just himself, but from everybody within his network so i hope this has provided some kind of value for you guys and given you some insights into what the future might look like for you and your families and open up some choices so would love any feedback as usual on twitter um share like comment love the banter uh, dms are open as many as you know um make sure if you're if you're not stacking sats yet um, you know, 
One-time purchases are great. They're brilliant. If you've got that cash, go out and do that. Um, but if you if you just want to stack into this bull run and then stack into this next bear cycle, which will probably come like two to four years later, um, that's going to put you in a very, very good position in 10 years' time. So if you're stacking, that's a great way to do it. And auto-stacking, set it and forget it. Uh, you know where I send you. UK is coinfloor.co. Uh, .uk forward slash bitten in the US is swanbitcoin.com forward slash once bitten and if you want to find out where these companies are around the world go and check out at Friar Hass on Twitter he's the man he'll be able to um, help you out uh, I'm sure he'll answer any questions you can go and find his show back on uh, on this podcast as well so much um, so much to talk about here guys thanks so much for listening really look forward to the next episode and uh, yeah have um, go go stack some sats and let's see what the price is uh, in the next episode take care guys bye bye